Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon, TCG, discussion, and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we will be discussing the varying deck archetypes of the Digimon TCG, which archetypes each deck falls under, how they play, and the different approaches to deck construction. We are now available on all podcasting networks, including but not limited to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, uh, we are also on YouTube and Twitch, uh, streamed uh, through twitch.tv slash Zenitsu and on the Zenitsu YouTube channel. We definitely should have rehearsed that. Oh, well, Um, so there was a pause. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. Uh, so this week's episode, as I just said, will be about the different deck archetypes. So the common archetypes, as it is known to the general card game universe, which deck archetypes fall under which within the Digimon space. And there'll be some room for argument a little bit. Um, I know I have some kind of hot takes in this regard, but just so for those that aren't 100% aware of of what it means to be, say, a control deck or an aggro deck or a combo deck, getting a little weird with it, it's not as clearly defined of an archetype, but um, what really kind of just how those decks win the game, how they are built differently, and just the examples that we have in the Digimon TCG. Yeah, um... Digimon is definitely a more interesting one because certain decks could fall under multiple if you really like want to get down to the super nitty gritty. It's just like OTK decks are basically combo decks, uh, but are they actual combo decks or are they actually aggro decks? Like it's it's weird. Well, I think the the line there because it's it's the most gray area, I guess, especially in Digimon, would be that I define or at least from my experience combo deck is something that a combo deck cannot be aggro and it cannot be control i guess one of the ones i didn't mention is is mid-range is i guess the the true standard third party that isn't combo necessarily because combo can technically be multiple um so while each deck has combos if they are not as reliant on said combo they are not, in essence, a combo deck. Uh, I know I watched a video on uh, Pro Magic, basically, that kind of laid out in a more structured environment what it means to be each deck archetype as a preparation for this. And their definition of combo, which I guess is the most arguable in this entire list, is that if all of your games aren't ending in the same fashion like agnostic of what your opponent wants to do you're not a combo deck so something more like melga x is kind of a combo deck because for the most part you are ending your games in a very similar fashion every time but at the same time you aren't as defined by that combo so i would still like you're really close to the line of combo deck i would not say combo though because 
I would agree with that. After playing it and winning with it, it like there's some moments where you have to be flexible in your plays and aka break the combo um that you want to be doing to be able to play efficiently um and yeah i'm not ending the game all the time the exact same way like we thought uh d reapers was kind of a combo deck and half the time you're not even playing reaper to actually end the game it's just an alternate win condition it's the deck's designed win condition it's an but that's not how you're clock yeah it's it's, it's an inevitability the only it's not... way that i win yes so initially we first thought that um it was a combo deck and then we were like oh it doesn't really kill that way all the time so i guess it's not a combo deck well so melga was my, my first thing because a it, it does have just a clear line of play that results in a win commonly if you see all of the things that you need to see in the order in which you need to see them or at least in the matter in which to see them that you see all your pieces by the time you need them you have a combo there but because the deck has a combo doesn't mean you win via the combo so just looking at um uh this list from the august core tcg regional first place list you don't have to win the game on well first of all like there's a indefined amount of chip that is not part of your combo that there is not a hard requirement to chip or with what to begin with it's just any amount of chip and then you go up your stages you swing with you swing multiple times you restand and then you end with something you know it doesn't but it's not always blitz omni for game if it was always you know swing 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 blitz omni for game that is more in combo territory and I think red falls into that trap more than um, Guru, to mm. be 100% honest, because like uh, this is more Wargrayx because it just needs very precise pieces in order to do its thing. I would also say that um, red ancient OTK, that is more of a combo deck. You just build your stack basically the same way every single time, swing with your ancient and then blitz for game or a hybrid if you have enough memory for a game, and that that's what you do 100% of the time. It's not the most consistent of decks, uh, but that's what it's trying to do every single time. So that is more true to a combo deck. And I was going to disagree with you, but just through thinking through the full line of play and the pro the process, I, I'm, I've already backed myself down off that. Um, Red Ancient OTK is, again, I think one of the better examples of combo because... It is the, the 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 specific tagline that I took away from the video, the magic video was, without worrying, like I don't care if you're up against D Reaper, I don't care if you're up against security control. Does that does the fact that your your opponent's security could be different change your game plan? If it does, you're not a combo deck. Then that's so. But Ancient never cares what their opponent's security is. So nope, they they do whatever they want regardless of who their opponent is. Yep, because usually they'll try to always have Piercing and Alda in their stack and be able to swing for five, if not more, depending on how far they want to go into uh, creating an evolution chain or line that's big enough to break whatever amount of security they feel comfortable with. And obviously Digimon plays a little differently, so it every deck has pieces it needs to see, or it, it's not like Magic where, okay, I have a 3-drop and a 4-drop and a 5-drop, and they're separate pieces, because in Digimon, you're making one 
better piece as opposed to many small pieces that progressively cost more mana. So um, it's, it's less of a win condition, and, and, and it makes you think that more things are combo decks that aren't. But if you take something like Melga X or Alpha Mon or even D-Reaper, and you think, okay, how are they... How, how, are they swinging into security versus like Melga X or D Brigade versus how are they swinging into security versus security control? And the answer is they're different. They approach the game differently in that regard. Therefore, like they kind of get eliminated from the are definitely a combo deck territory. Yeah, there's not, like, a whole lot of true combo decks in Digimon uh, based on that, which I think is fine. Like, Digimon is a very combo-centric stuff where you're trying to line up these, like, very intricate lines of play, and those will get repetitive because, you know, those themselves are combos, but uh, the actual definition of a combo deck, we don't really have a whole lot of those. Uh, so, um but we do have a lot of decent like aggro and mid-range and uh, I guess arguably control decks, even if they do look a little bit different than your traditional style compared to other games. Yeah, you like it is a lot. It is hard for me sometimes because in some capacities, as I love to, to say, I guess there are no control decks in Digimon because you have there's no inner turn interaction which is pretty much a staple of a control deck is I am physically controlling you in some regard with, and up until BT 11, basically our biggest form of inner turn interaction is like BT five Sakuyamon or blocker. And that's about it. Or security just, or the yeah, just security. the existence of security, but that's still by your opponent's choice, not by your choice. Right. Like, that's the difference. Yes, because they play, have to attack in order for you yeah, to trip. Like, the difference, I think, is in, in the mentality as you approach the card game. You're never afraid of the security control stopping you from doing something that you don't, in some ways, at least agree to take part in. There is still that handshake of, I'm going to swing security. I hope it doesn't die. But there's at least a strong expectation that it does die based on the likelihood of your security having something that kills me. But in a, in a against a true control deck, against anyone that's played any amount of Magic, would know the difference is is okay. I play, you know, I you know I digivolve into Melga X response, and my opponent says, okay, it dies. Like I I've not swung security, I have not I've it just dies. Or black, like counter spells, removal spells on your opponent's turn as they do something. Anyone that's played Yu-Gi-Oh, like, like th those are inner turn interactions. That's where actual control elements, you know, seep into the card game. Yeah, like Yu-Gi-Oh's hand traps are another good example of, like, control tools. But, like, Yu-Gi-Oh is a completely different beast uh, just because that game is kind of, like, as far as I remember, uh, really fast-paced, high damage. You do your big thing. You basically ask your opponent to break it. And if they can't, then they just die. Uh, I don't know if that's still kind of true. It's It kind of seems that way. But again, I haven't really touched Yu-Gi-Oh! in a very long time. The only, like... I guess the best example, still... I, well, Ancient OTK would still be a great definition of a of a combo deck in Digibon. Our probably highest visibility level on an actual combo basis is 
the various loop decks that have existed, mostly Lilith Loop. We're about to approach Minerva Loop. Um, yeah, because we had Lilith Loop, then there was Creepy Loop, and now Minerva Loop, and they're and... just doing all the same thing on trying to recycle and reuse the level 5s to go into a new level 6 or do something else with those level 5s. And But the thing is, is I guess the part that breaks the definition to me is, well, technically, like if anything, those decks are doing, at a broad definition, the same thing every game the actual decision-making yeah. is still very different, depending on what you have, what you don't have, how much security your opponent has. There's a lot of things that change based upon the various game states you're in, but the fact that the whole deck is kind of just pushing you towards... I, I have um, the core TCG fourth-place loop deck that you know randomly popped up in BT9. Um, I don't understand the Ofani loop. Like, I looked at that deck, and I was just like, I do not get what this, this loop this is. This is Lilith loop. It's not Ofani loop. I don't know what that is. Oh, that's Lilith loop? Yep, oh. Yeah, that's Lilith loop. There was, there was some Ofani loop that, like, was... It, it popped up towards the very end of our BT9, and um, I I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Well, so, really, really what defines this as... It just looked like as... without DNA. <laughs> what, what defines this as a combo deck to me is how all of these decks pieces are kind of tapered around the combo and it isn't just a combo like grandis or alpha aren't combo decks in the way of get to level six do level six thing that's not a combo that's just having a boss monster this is all of the level threes are utilities like gabumon is filtering or um looting Looting is the, the, looting. the looting is the literal name for it in Magic. It's draw a card, trash a card. Um, then Gazimon is a floodgate. Lusamon recovers. Psychomon is a floodgate. Those are all of your rookies. None of them are important to your combo, as like as individual pieces. It's just a rookie. Then you've got your your Gankus, your or Ginkaku promote with your Kinkaku and your Ginkaku to add sources and do things when it's played um usually as a means it's, of actually rushing yeah, it's it's you that's usually their actual win condition is like oh i'm gonna do all of this stuff and then here's just a cheap card with rush that i can use four copies of scatter mode again just getting pieces in your trash getting the pieces you need in your hand just and and i mean it's we're not gonna go over a card but that's kind of the whole point of this and then you have your actual yeah, combo you pieces and then a bunch of options that are either combo pieces themselves or uh, recursion, allowing you to repeat your combo. Yeah, like that's kind of just what a lot of purple decks try to do because a lot of purple decks just need specific levels of setup depending on what the purple deck is. And I think like the loop decks incorporate the best of what purple actually is as a whole because it's like, you look at all of the purple decks, and I don't want to say they're all similar, but they're all like, get cards in trash, use cards in trash differently, depending on what it is, and depending on how you're trying to fill up the trash. Because you have like, self-milling, which you just want to run a whole bunch of self-mill to get a specific number of cards in your trash to turn your effects online. Uh, like, that's just purple at its core, and I think like, the purple these purple loop decks are purple at its finest. Like, it is the most refined that purple can be because it is dedicating itself to the strengths of purple. I think it's also the best example of purple in the fact that it's the 
purpliest purple decks because while Beelzemon exists and has combo elements uh, competitively, it is uh, not on the map. So for it's our barely per- on the map. It's on there, just not really a huge part of it, oh, like oh, a small, I tiny see. little island. You're gonna make me open it now. Okay. BT9 meta analysis. Beelzemon. One. <laughs> One top 16 once. <laughs> hey, no. That's better than some other decks. Some Actually, other decks can't even I'm get sorry. one. I'm looking at BT8. It doesn't exist in BT9. <laughs> no, that's not true. I sent you that image. It has uh, Beelzemon. It has two. Two top 16s out of all of BT9. In okay. English. Oh, I didn't have that tournament recorded. But, so, still, uh, for, our purposes, for our purposes, doesn't matter. Um, I know. The other one being, Mastamon is trash E and like trash mastermind kind of cares about its trash but it's yellow purple it's its own thing it's not this is like pure purple with a couple of cards that aren't purple just for the sake of helping purple but pure purple you know loot yeah cerberus combo shenanigans yep uh it's just because like you try to line up the cerberus to gain you lots of memory and then get that body on to then go up into another level six to then do various other things or rinse and repeat just to gain more memory like it 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 is uh like that is all it's trying to do um and that's okay like that that's okay and that's kind of what makes it more of a combo deck than some of the other decks like you can't really say oh minerva loop or lilith loop or creepy loop purple loop just purple loop you can't say that purple loop isn't really a combo deck because everything in that deck is tailored to the combo or to getting to the combo whereas if, if i'm playing metal guru x or even Alphamon, like i'm just trying to find my boss monster like mm-hmm. that's it i'm just trying to set up my one two cards that let me do very powerful explosive things and then the rest of it just doesn't matter so, yeah, and while obviously I didn't approach the beginning of this discussion with ancient OTK in mind, it also kind of does that. All of all of its pieces either search for combo pieces or are combo pieces, and everything else doesn't like matter in the deck. Yeah, like Digimon being a different game than most of the others, I think like the definition of what we would define as a combo in digimon like a a more combo deck in digimon is more of is the deck tailoring to the specific setup of cards and is like that kind of is what the combo is uh because i don't care what my level four is uh for metal guru like it could be the promo it could be bt5 guru it doesn't matter like as long as i just see a level four that's all i need yeah you're just getting to the boss monster and that doesn't like a combo make yeah uh, no. so i think like that's a good way to define combo in uh digimon mm. um is just is the deck tailoring itself to find its specific combo pieces and there's usually more than just one or two of them so more of these are hard than easy i guess but the other I guess point of debate I've seen is what defines an aggro deck in Digimon and it's a little easier in some ways right so I would say 
any rookie rush style deck is aggro based because they're they are just kind of slamming they're going wide they're slamming bodies and they're swinging the specific and, nature of those bodies is less important yeah because i was gonna say like it doesn't matter if it's actual digimon or tamers that are setting up digimon like as long as you are going wide and going hard and fast like that is just what hmm. being aggressive is yeah blue hybrid would also fall into that category only because while blue hybrid had many means of control it used that control as a means to springboard just, its aggro it yeah. just slow its opponents down enough to be faster than them it's still yep. ultimate game plan was just like i mean again just think of what is a lethal turn to these decks and that kind of brings you into the scope of uh what what defines each archetype so for your d brigade ideally though not you know that's not really the way that it'll happen is you swing with probably three command Dramon, and then you slam a dark Dramon and swing for lethal after chipping away on the previous turn because you played two command Dramon, one of the command Dramon from the first turn died and then played another command Dramon, and you know, maybe if a Hukurumon thrown in there, it, it doesn't matter specifically as long as you're potentially meeting that requirement to get Dark Jamon in play or hybrid lethaling with Grumblemon if you had to set up a tamer. But you're just kind of going wide and you're swinging and you don't care if they die. Preferably they don't, but if, if they don't, that's a plus. You're almost expecting them to die, which is also, I guess, kind of aggro is you're, you have expendable pieces. And a lot of these aggro decks also have, like, halfway decent control elements inside of them to, again, like what you said with blue um, blue hybrids, slow them down enough. We saw this all the way back in BT5 with um, the yellow-green Rookie Rush, where it was using a lot of the yellow, like Spiral Masquerade, as a means to slow the opponent down. Oh, oh you're building a wide board as well? cool, I'm using my wide board to kill your wide board for virtually doing nothing. Now I'm free to go in. Like, it's it's actively slowing down uh, the stuff. Even in uh, Commandramon or Deeper Gates, like, all of the security threats, like um, Ultimate Flare and um, Congo, like, they're just there to slow down the opponent just barely enough for you to be more aggressive than them. I think uh, another defining trait of an aggro deck in Digimon is the ability to have room in your package for those combo elements. Because you're so focused on winning at the low end, you have all this extra space for for other. You know, I, I, I don't have as much room in other decks to just include a bunch, like a strict amount of removal or control elements for a deck that's still trying to win in basically three turns yeah it, it's just a p it's just extra filler that you're filling with elements to slow down the opponent like as a commandramon deck i'm not actually expecting to hard play ever uh ultimate flare like yeah the, that's not a good turn for a commandramon deck you'd rather just play one maybe two commandramons and call it a turn like ultimate flare is in there just to try to be a security threat to slow down the opponent enough to be disruptive 
um, while you're trying to maintain your solid board. And a lot of these aggro decks are either hyper efficient, like super low to the ground, or they have some way to like dodge slash recur a lot of their cards value. So like um, hybrids, I would say a lot of the hybrid decks are pretty much aggro decks because you just hard slam tamers. The opponent doesn't have a whole lot of way to interact with the tamers. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you just are sitting with like five, six memory and you just go, did you evolve into hybrid swing? hybrid swing hybrid swing and that's the game like that is it um one of the other things i was thinking of as far as ways to divide remove arguments for decks crossing lines is if you if there was an arbitrary rule this you cannot win or lose until turn 10 who is more favored in the matchup now is the more aggressive deck so um who is no, not favored, I guess. Who is who's more likely to lose? Because someone like Blue Hybrid is still maybe very favored by by, but usually by the end of a game, if if it is turn ten, and Blue Hybrid isn't basically at that hybrid lethal threshold where I I will just play a tamer this turn, not lose, and then swing for game, then they've already kind of lost, or um, I know. The matchup that Zenitsu and I played rather frequently this meta of D Reaper versus Melga X. Melga X has a more aggro shell, not entirely an aggressive deck, but is it's significantly more aggressive than D Reaper. And as a result, the longer the game went, the more likely I was to win. Yep, uh, I can say that wholeheartedly and honestly. Yep. Basically, the game usually boiled down to especially when we were kind of just getting reps in and playing cards was do i get gatekeeper live if i get gatekeeper live i've probably already won unless he has an immediate way to remove it and then win on the same turn yeah and security control is also kind of in that boat in terms of like matchup where it's just like after a certain turn count they usually have the ability to stabilize themselves, and that's usually when the aggro player just cannot win. Yep. Um, although certain aggro decks are kind of like built to actually be somewhat playable in the long game, like again, D Brigades. Um, just the fact that Dark Dramon puts the cards from your trash back into your deck is like absolutely absurdly insane. Um, but you're only going to be seeing those cards again because it puts them on the top and it locks you out of the other cards in your deck. Yes, you sometimes wouldn't care about that, but sometimes you do. Um, and that actually can sometimes slow you down, even though it's still keeping you in the game longer. Um, that's not necessarily making you win faster, though. I think the big difference there, though, is that D Brigade has so many cards that because you're not digivolving, you're just hard playing Commandermon or hard playing Hagubermon, that you're not seeing that card draw, and that each each play you make is a card down. So even if you're you're not decking out because you're putting the Dark Dramon back, or you're putting the Deep Brigade cards back into your bottom of your deck, but it's the top uh, top of your deck. But the, you're not decking out, but you're also not necessarily. You're still behind cards, I guess is really ultimately what I'm trying to say. You're yeah, because you're not you're not turn, drawing as many cards as the opponent would. If you're in a control deck or in a you know 
stack deck, mid-range deck, then every time you play a card minus a tamer, depending on which tamer it is too, a lot of tamers do draw you cards or replace themselves at least, then every turn you're plus one card total because every other card you play replaces itself. Every time you digivolve, you draw a card. And so you start with your five, turn two, six, turn three, seven, assuming that you're not hard playing anything and you're not playing any tamers or options that replace themselves. So the aggro decks don't do that. They are they are hard playing things. They are going down on cards, and you end up in a point where, again, common rookie rush D brigade situation where it's turn four. I've potentially begun to stabilize. How many cards does my opponent have in hand? Two. Yep. I mean, granted, there is a lot of ways for the deck to draw, but most of the time in these types of decks. The draw isn't necessarily like a plus one. It is it is a neutral draw most of the time. That's what I mean. It just so, replaces itself. Yeah. So like Higuruman, like you are drawing two cards, but you're using two cards to draw two cards. Yeah. Like because you have to discard one and hard play the card, which means you're not digivolving. And then you get the two cards back. So like you're always remaining at a, uh, a net zero in terms of cards. And then as you just mentioned, when you're hard playing cards and they're not replacing themselves, then now you're you're going down. Um, which is why like half the time when you actually like pay attention to your hand count in Digimon, uh, especially like using traditional style decks, you'll have easily a hand of like eight to ten to twelve cards, like no problem. Just because a lot of the cards you're digivolving, they're replacing themselves, or you're hard playing it, trying to get two for one uh value or plus oneing on card advantage. Um just or to even, be able to find your your parts and pieces to be able to build the most ideal stack, or even just control decks that aren't named D uh, D Reaper, they are drawing usually more cards or as many cards as they are playing. Yeah, like Blade of the True is absolutely insane for security control, where it's like it's at worst most of the time drawing you two cards at best drawing you three to maybe four if you're really lucky so um yeah i guess we, we talked about a little bit just in reference to the other decks but our, what i would define as a control deck in digimon would be the decks that their goal is to take the game kind of as long as possible and for each turn that passes in which they don't die, they are more likely to win. Yep. So uh, I think, like, based on that definition, a lot of people think that Black War Greymon is a more mid-range deck, and I would say it's like a mid-range combo kind of a or not combo <laughs> mid-range control. Uh, just because, like, you get into one Black War and you're able to stabilize the field, keep the opponent off of actually maintaining a field. And then you just get a second stack, and then you you basically just have the game from there. Like, there is not a lot that they can do against two Megas that can deal damage and control the opponent's field. Well, I think the control is the, the big part of that. So, like, what is the Black War doing? And if the answer is nothing, you're in a bad spot. And if the answer is everything, you're in a good spot. So, it just depends. I think that's why I would still classify Black War as, like, the, the highest controlliest end of mid-range while still ultimately a mid-range deck because 
its specific pieces don't matter as much. Obviously, certain cards are better than others. Certain stacks are better than others. But yep. um, its its mega is or defensive, reactive, and controlling in nature. Though it doesn't have to be. It's still, like, the fact that it can be aggressive uh, would, would, I think, leave it out of that control only because if you make a black war and your opponent has nothing on the field, you're winning so well, you're controlling the game so well that you, you digivolve and kill nothing, that's actually a pretty shitty place to be in black war, and you probably lose that game if your opponent has an answer to that black war. Yeah. I mean, but that's where you, like, hold stuff back and you try to set up a secondary stack on the field to try to bait out uh, the opponent into doing certain actions. Like, there's still things that you can do to uh, be able to still find a way to control the opponent effectively to make the most out of uh, your boss monsters. And I think Black War also, just unfortunately, is on the slower side because it's meant to have more impactful when digivolving effects to balance out the fact that it's they two are colors. more expensive. Yeah, the, well, they're more expensive partially because they're two colors. Because, like, you look at Metal Gray um, from BT8 and he costs 40 Evo versus, like, oh, here's Metal Gray from uh, EX2, or not EX2, EX1, uh, mm -hmm. and it costs three. So it's just like, okay, um, it's more expensive because the on the one digivolving effect is more impactful, and it's two colors versus one. And it's also just a reactionary effect. It's more expensive and does nothing if they have no board. Yeah. Which is, so that, that's, that's the downside. That's the controlling element, but it's not a control deck. It has a better matchup into some control decks, obviously, like um, that the Metal Gray Inheritable allowing Black War to swing over Mother is huge, like game-defining, enough to put Black War slash Galmon in the place that is in the meta as a result of its comparison to those other decks, and its ability, like, it's one of the few instances of Tamer Hate, Tamer removal, controlling elements, but I would still say that Black War slash Galmon is is still probably just yeah the most controlling of the mid range slash stack decks. Yeah, you got you got a fair point there. Um, because like this is this is where like everything decks else usually yeah. have yeah <laughs> it's everything decks else. usually have. Decks usually have more than one classification um, if we really want to boil down uh, to it, but most of the time it's easier just to use the one. So I would probably say that, yeah, Black War is more mid-range, um, but more towards the control side of mid-range. Because like a lot of people like to define mid-range as basically, well, it's the deck that likes to win in the middle of speed-wise um, the but, aggro versus yeah. control matchup. But Digimon like, doesn't really work that way. Yeah, Digimon doesn't work that way, and I think like more traditional stack-based decks are falling into that like mid-range type category, just because like it, it you are playing on a particular tempo um, that 
the other decks generally are not playing towards. Yeah, you're definitely faster than control decks as far as by your means with which to end the game. So I think Galmon being a great example of that, they have their sec plus one from starter Greymon, sec plus one from Mel Grey X, and uh, sec plus one from Galmon. They, like, they have means with which to push and end the game, and they also have... But they have control elements in the form of removal, so they can still check the decks that are faster than them, check the actual aggro decks that aim to beat them if everybody was just allowed to play their things and swing, who would win the faster deck? Yep. But that's not how Digimon's actually played anymore. Well, I mean, that's... It never, I guess, maybe was, but... So... Even... I mean, in the early games, like in all the way back to like BT three, that's kind of what made Rookie Rush so good, is because there just wasn't a lot of like ways to defend against just a wide field of rookies. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the removal was more single target removal, and if they're just playing two cards to your one, then obviously by math they're gonna end up winning. Because even but... Grandis, Grandis has natures of both sides. Grandis is by nature a stack deck it wants to just kind of build its stack and but it, it runs at least this one i'm looking at specifically a full suite of blockers to slow down more aggressive decks if need be uh especially digivolving off of either the kokuamon x that searches or the tentamon x that just kind of filters itself when hard played um and then you've got the tapping piercing elements to actually remove pieces while dealing damage and i think it's that trade-off of like that tempo element of i am not just putting myself more ahead i'm also putting you more behind i am widening that gap from both ends and that's the, the, the true mid-range aspect of the deck yeah because a lot of like, even, like, Setcon is the, the premier example of a control deck uh, in Digimon, at least at the moment. Most of its cards either put you more ahead or put your opponent more behind. Very rarely are you doing both. Would you say, like, Mastimon is more of a control deck? Because, like, I'm trying to sit there and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, Mastimon doesn't really play by normal mid-rangey kind of conventions. But, like, it snowballs pretty hard because of how uh, effective its removal can be to punish the opponent. Uh, but it also, at the same time, relies on, well, I guess the toolboxy nature of your level fives. You don't necessarily need to always play, like, Lucimon or something. If you don't need to kill something, then you could just always play something like Magna Angemon to recover um, or something else to help set up another stack. I would. Honestly, probably say Mastamon is is the least controlling of controlled. I I don't maybe not least controlling, but it, I would almost say it's more control, only because even I I pulled up the last Mastamon list that I could find. This is a third place Gen Con, um, and you just look at just the removal suite, right? Four copies of Flame Health Scythe, three copies of Chaos Degradation, six Tamers. And then 
they basically start at the level 4 mark. They don't really run rookies. This deck runs exactly 4 rookies. Um, this, this list in particular. And also just the fact that security decks that aren't named D-Reaper, or control decks that aren't named D-Reaper, are usually the hardest to pin down deck list-wise because they're so particular to the particular pilot. How many of each removal do you like to run? Do you do you favor other removal over others? Do you favor certain copies of, like, which level fives you're running and how many of them in Mastamon is almost exclusively tied to the pilot? And I don't think any one per like, any two people could sit down and agree 100% on a Mastamon list. No, that's, uh, that's the way a lot of Digimon decks kind of are, because, like, even with Guru decks, like, I see people running the Red Splash, and I personally hate the Red Splash. I think it slows down the deck, even though it creates, like, the higher a higher damage ceiling and a safer damage. Uh, it's just significantly slower than if you're just running blue, and I think, like, a lot of decks kind of fall into that category. Some are a little bit easier to optimize than others, sure, um, in terms of, like, agree, like majority agreeance. Um, well, but, I mean, yeah, Mastermind a lot is the... definitely... A lot of the stack decks, I think, are, are bad examples of that. Like, you used... I, while there are differences in wear lists, I think wear is almost the worst example. Because you're running four copies of the cards you care about, and then it's only the cards you don't that are even debatable. No one's debating whether you need four copies of wear X, four copies of metal x four copies of all right i guess that's you know what yeah, i mean i guess that like, i guess that's... that is a bad example and it's just more of the text splash like what are you doing with your leftover yeah. cards after your tech after your, tech. your core whereas yeah. this is these are core cards how many copies of lady devimon should you run how many copies of magda angemon should you run like there are obviously better cards that are less debatable but again it's just the cards that are more required for the list Usually four Mastamon is, is fairly standard. Four copies of Gatamon is fairly standard. Four copies of Flame Hellscythe. And then the rest is just kind of personal liberties, but really. Like, thinking about it. There's a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of freedom. For this, this list particularly is running four copies of Zword Defeat. That is not necessarily standard. That is not necessarily common. Um, this is running three copies of Chaos Degradation. That's... I, I don't know. Like, I mean... The, usually these control decks are you could throw them all in, and pull their averages out and come up with a single non-functioning deck because all you're doing is looking at different versions of the same deck that don't necessarily play well with each other whereas if you took the most average metal list you're still running a functional deck at the end of the day yeah I'm I'm not gonna disagree with that. Um, again, decks that aren't named D Reaper because their tech options are incredibly limited. Um, just by deck construction. Um. Even so, yeah. Let's actually, if I just close a couple tabs. Yeah, so these are two different. Um. Security control lists. They're running, very, very different cards um and part of this is just kind of what makes uh these like control decks 
kind of expensive is because a lot of their parts and pieces usually are higher rarity on top of the fact that like the flexibility on how many tools and pieces they have access to um, is partially why that they're very expensive. Yeah, every deck has its staples, so it's just yeah, like, at, like Magna Angemon is the staple of security control. Yeah, like both... you kind of just need four copies of that if you're playing security control. Four copies of Salomon, four copies of Magna Angemon, but it basically only and I, I guess usually like why these kinds of decks are in the discussion as far as like their difficulty and uniqueness of deck construction is they're running different eggs like straight up like they are running is there how many different eggs are debatable in metal um you can make an argument to play upamon but like the deck already has lots of card draw where you just really don't need it to but i guess argument versus practice how many decks have topped I mean, I don't, I don't have the number in front of me either. Can you all, find all of them are playing? I could, I could save you the time. They're all <laughs> playing Sunamon. Exactly. They're all playing BT five Sunamon because the DP is more important than the card draw because they already have card draw. So, they're really, arguability versus practicality. No one's using the second best option. These are both running two different eggs. Um, one is running three copies of Sakuyamon. One is running two. Okay, that's you know, fairly comparable. One's running four copies of Dexmon. One's running two. Okay, that's half as many. You know, if if one person topped running two copies of Metal X, that would be very different, right? As opposed to every yeah. other list. Um, and then there's just the cards that show up that like literally aren't in other lists. This one's running a copy of Gallantmon Crimson Mode. Yeah, because they want to use uh, Avenge Kidmon to his utmost potential, so they dedicated a slot to be able to, oh, my Avenge Kidmon's sticking? Cool, here's a Gallantmon to Digivolve mm -hmm. into and then screw the opponent over because, well, their trash is nice and full because I killed everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, and it's something that people wouldn't expect because the deck allows for that flexibility there. That's just something that, something like your Metal X or your... Um, Alpha Mon and ha let less have control over. And the major argument for Viximon over uh, Upamon, because uh, a lot of people do that, is a lot of your options are costing two or more. So Viximon mm -hmm. is just easier card draw earlier on versus Upamon, where you need to be at a specific amount that you actually don't want to be at. Yeah. Uh, like yes, it does combo better with Salomon. Um, and that's like the only time Salomon's going to be swinging. But again, if that's the only time Salomon's going to be swinging, just having a Salomon sit on the field, be that threat um, of the body um, to potentially recover, just allows you to just do what um, blue hybrids used to do. And they just sit on those cards and they'll just accrue value. Um, and that's what made Kiaramon way better than Upamon in terms of an egg. Like you don't want to always swing. Mm. Yeah, you get the card draw without having to swing with your floodgate, yeah. which was huge. Yep, and uh, Yellow Hybrids is adopting the same style of thinking, where it's just like, I don't have to swing with the card that isn't going to recover me. I could sit on it and recover later off of it. And if they waste their resources trying to kill it, cool. Like, whatever. If I do choose to swing with it early after drawing off of Vixie, also cool. 
it it literally did its job. Now, something that I'm not a huge fan of in Digimon, unfortunately, is just by the nature of the rules, by the nature of the cards we currently have access to, there are no true like inter-turn interactive cards outside of a very couple examples. Um, but even the a lot of the inter-turn cards are or at least, are inter-turn effects are at least triggered by your opponent agreeing to you know take a penalty for something or something you know like Don Devimon you know from way back when is a controlling card but you know it says when your opponent you know attacks me I lose a security you lose a security once per turn that's it that is a tax for swinging it's an attacks for attacking me but it's it's a single use effect and it is also an effect by which you are ultimately triggering I don't have the ability to hold that back to say, okay, I don't want to use it right now. I don't want to use it right Okay, now, like, you know, if there's ever a situation where I'm going to wait for you to recover one, and now I'm more afraid of that card you recovered. Now I choose to trash your card. Like, basically, interrupting effects, ultimately, I guess, is something we really lack in Digimon. Cards where I stop, like, outside of security, where I stop what you're doing to do something on your turn well i think digimon also kind of just doesn't want that from a design perspective because like they want you to be able to do your stuff uh for the most part but those controlling type cards like yes you are agreeing to do that and suffer the penalty but at least you're still doing it like that's that's kind of the whole crux of it like i don't want to sit there and just have a game where the opponent just tells me, no, you you might as well just give up because you can't play a card because I have too much inner turn interaction. Like, mm -hmm. Magic is notoriously infamous for that with its blue decks where it'll play like a 1-1, and then the rest of the deck is draws draw spells and counter spells to stop the opponent from literally doing anything as they're just slowly watching themselves die. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! has this with... Um, God, I'm forgetting the deck, but it's the final countdown deck um where the whole goal of the deck is to just stop the opponent from literally doing anything and then just wait 20 turns and final countdown just auto wins you the game like those are the worst most unfun experiences that japanese players tend to hate yeah or like japanese game designers don't like to do because they like big splashy cool things happening and also it slows down the game immensely and they well, don't have time for that so that that's something that i, I remember i i really just had to reflect on because I, I feel like i've brought it up a couple times now that going to time wasn't as common when i played magic it wasn't something that or at least like you know tying because oh like we went to time and then nobody won so it's a tie just happened so less frequently when i played magic because even with those control decks you just hit a point where you had lost basically it was the equivalent of the metal x versus gatekeeper situation but you actually had no way no ways out because as the player who was up as the control player i had a way to oh you oh you you found a kakaitis breath okay counterspell like, if you did have a single point of removal to get rid of my card, I could tell you no. At least enough times to where 
the board state would remain the same and you would still have nothing on the field or you still had no way to win the game. And again, as you mentioned, uh, the most extreme control decks being um, their only way of actually winning the game was via um, man lands or what was it called? Field of Ruin? I'm trying to remember. Just a, a card to recur you a body to be able to swing with or just a card to just stick on the field Not long field enough to ruin. be it's field of the dead field of the dead yeah that's why magic players hate like lands it was, that also it was eventually banned but yeah yes um yeah that's 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 why they don't like yep. battle lands like lands that occur with lands. some sort of physical value on mm -hmm. the field to deal yep. damage like like this card just kind of screams you know control for magic Whenever Field of the Dead or another land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands, so it's it's been a while, it's, you know, usually you only get one land per turn outside of ramp, um, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. So it just gave you a small body just for playing a land every turn. And that's all you did, was you played lands, you made bodies, and you just made sure that your opponent could not play a single card and that's I, a control deck <laughs> i mean like yes digimon is a completely different game and we don't exactly have that but what i'm saying is i don't want that like I out know. of a control deck i don't want that like the fact that people already complain with security control being the most excruciatingly painful game they've ever played of digimon like that's that's the most that i really want uh, like but so, I think uh, Bagra Army come later sets is a good example of like how could, how they can start implementing uh, inner turn interaction, and that opens up avenues for other abilities like delay cards that happen during the opponent's turn off of a specific trigger. Um, but then again, like you're telegraphing the control stakes and control elements, which is fine because it allows you to play around it. And if you can't, then you have to play into it, and then you're playing into the control hands like into their traps essentially i think the the biggest pain point there though is the the unknown and it's not the unknown of of actually because again magic we're stuff at every resource system so if i'm a blue player and i'm floating two mana basically i have i have two untapped lands and it is your turn there is a counter spell potentially coming or three depending on which format you're playing but so it, it's I mean, it, that like is this... that is the known signal security doesn't have that security is i have to go through it to win the game technically um you know i could be bluffing right because i know what my cards in my hand are in magic you don't i i don't know what my cards in security are in in neither of us do but at least there's some bluffing aspect to it it's not really bluffing in security control because it basically be the same in, in, as if in magic, like if, um, uh, if, if instead of mana, you had like Vanguard based triggers where, okay, you attack. I flip the cop card of my deck. Oh, it's a counter spell. I kill your, like that, that all, it's all security is, is a, a random draw. And I rig that draw by putting as many kill cards as I can in my deck, because in Magic, I still have to pay for those kill cards. I still have to pay for counter spells. And if I pass my turn and I don't have enough mana to counter spell, 
you get free reign. I have I have you know completely expended my resources, and now you can acknowledge that you can do whatever the hell you want this turn and this turn only. Whereas in Magic or in in Digimon, that is never true, because as long as cards remain in my security, I have ways to kill you without playing a single card or doing a single thing. Well, this is where like the beauty of chess kind of comes in, where it's just like it does kind of play more chess like in terms of the control like there's control strategies in chess like there's ways yeah, but... to try to force and manipulate the opponent into a bad action and that's what digimon's control is and i'm okay with that because that takes a specific level of thought that isn't existent in any other card game really it's just like okay i could see you're telegraphing you have a counter spell i could either try to play a card and bait it out or i could um uh read or try to I read bluffing? into the bluff yeah yes you know? Uh, but like, that's that's a different type of a mind game where oh, I physically cannot play this because it is just dead based on board state. Like that is something completely. Those are two completely different ends. And I think Digimon leans into the chess side of things beautifully because that to me is just more interesting than oh they, all right they just counterspelled me. Can I try again? Well, oh they they counterspelled me again. Are they finally out of counterspells? Oh, no, all right, whatever. But chess is operating on, you know, fully known information. All information to play and win the game is is available at all times, whereas in Magic, it's at least partially available, and in Digimon, it is never available. You don't know if you walk into a game... Well, that's the point. I I prefer the chess aspect rather than... That's not chess, though. Chess is all information available at all times. Digimon is no information. Because well, you I mean, like what... you, you do have the RNG of security, but like there are stuff and uh, tactics that you could apply in Digimon to be able to manipulate the opponent's actions. But it, what's the difference like... between me playing five counter spells or me just happening to have, you know, four ultimate flares and one Gaia Force in security? How do you win that as Melga, Melga X, right? You, I have four ultimate flares in security every game. I mean, you don't, you but don't. that's that's the. <laughs> but that's not chess. That's, that's what I'm saying is that there, there's you can't control that. That isn't. You're not. Well, this is where calculated risks start taking place. Where it's just like, okay, I know they're a security control player. How do I change and adapt my strategy to be able to be like to be able to beat their strategy? Like that's something that like you have to assess the game completely differently. And that's a mindset that a lot of players just don't necessarily have. Like, and they didn't have at the beginning when security control was this unknown force. It's just like, oh, I swung into there, uh, hit a Gaia force. Next thing I knew, I drew out my deck because I kept trying to evolve back into my mega over and over again. And then next thing I know, I decked myself out. Like that, that unknownness uh, does have some mental manipulation on how players approach the game. Like, into a security control matchup, I'm not always going to want to Digivolve straight all the way up. Or sometimes, if I know they're playing with Black Splash with Ultimate Flare, I might need to go higher than uh, I normally would to be able to keep my main stack alive. Like, those are actions as a player that I need to assess. There's no real playing around, oh, they have a counterspell. I, I either play into it or I just don't play, period. Um, yeah, there is. That, you just that's... play something that you don't you don't mind getting counterspelled. The same reason that you're saying. Well, but the difference is, is you know, you could play your low body, and then I don't counterspell you. And then you play a big body, and I do counterspell you. You still get a low body in Digimon. 
if you digivolve to level 4, I do nothing. You digivolve to level 5, I then do something, your your whole stack is still gone. It, it really depends, but I, I'm not huge on hand traps and just complete mm. and utter like disruptive things coming out of nowhere. Like, I guess Digimon right now is a lot of damage out of nowhere, but uh, and that's kind of infuriating for a lot of players. But at least like it's kind of telegraphed to where you should know what the opponent is doing at a higher competitive level. And you should be able to read and assess the situation properly to be able to try to counteract it. Which is why a lot of players like playing Gaiomon is because he does literally that beautifully where it's just like, oh, as a Metal Guru player, how do I beat over um, a card that can't be bounced and is larger than any of my other bodies? Like, how do I win that situation? Like, there's not a whole lot of options left to you. Um, and identifying those types of positions and situations is like interesting in terms of a control aspect because it's like oh i hard slam sakuyamon now your raising is basically turned off what do you do in that situation is the question that's being presented and if your answer is nothing then you're going to lose otherwise you have to come and change up your gameplay style and figure something else out i think it's just especially the the swingy nature because again with at, at no control of the like receiving player does like you could play security control and they could have four salamons and a magna angemon in security and you're like what this is supposed to be hard this is supposed to be a difficult matchup i swung and i i never died like my melga x swung as many times as it was it, it could have and it never died and then i just won the game and my opponent had no means with which to control me or anything but in other times, again, you're, you're Melga X against four Ultimate Flares and a Gaia Force. And, or at least the, the most oppressive form of removal, obviously, you can stop. Maybe if you hit a Gaia Force first, but if you hit a Gaia Force last, you're probably less likely to be able to stop it. Especially the fourth or fifth time you fight, you hit one. But, um... Well, that's the Beelstar problem, because they actually run Digimon to try to set up their trash to make Beelstar as effective as they possibly can mm. at just getting her to be as low-costed as they possibly can to use lots of removal type of abilities and varied removal type of abilities at the risk of having weaker security and the fact that it doesn't have any recovery ability. Um, so, like, your security is either going to be cracked and you can easily win that matchup because you also use your lower end to chip and aggress, or you your security is just but and there's not a lot you can do and that just does happen um which is why control isn't super great in digimon um and that like i said that's totally okay because usually control decks try to slow down the pace of the game and japanese game design does not like slow they don't yeah and that's just a cultural thing like they don't like slow because they don't have time for slow that's why they play best of one and we play best of three. Mm. The the control elements that do exist, I do enjoy. Though, um, you know, potentially shocking information. I don't like to play into or against, or play as or against security control. Uh, I, I just don't think it's fun. I don't think it's interesting. And it, I don't think you're making meaningful choices as a, as a control player. I think there are other decks that you could be playing as a control player that at least have 
interesting choices to be made, control elements to interact with your opponent, and I think especially in the direction they're going, um, I haven't really gotten a playtest yet, so I don't know if it's any good actually, but the, like the BT-11 Bagra army, as far as it's, especially it's manipulation of resources, mostly, not necessarily manipulation of actual I have Digimon on the field, or I don't have Digimon on the field, or what those Digimon can do. That is, I think, more towards the, the things they're trying to avoid, like Jinitsu said, but more along the lines of, so, um, BT-11 Lilith allows you, you know, when an opponent's Digimon moves in the breeding area by trashing a card in this Digimon sources, that Digimon gets, when attacking, lose three memory for the turn. It's allowing them to do something with their Digimon if they want to, but there's a cost associated with it, and um, what that what it doesn't say in that text box is all the Bagra Army lower-level Digimon basically all have the same uh, inheritable ability of opponent's turn when this is trashed by an effect, gain a memory. So you're taxing them, like, you're taxing them just for existing, period. They raised a Digimon... I trash a source. Even if you weren't going to swing with that Digimon anyway, you've lost a memory already. And that one memory, especially depending on the deck, actually can make or break certain plays, which is the type of control I'm a little bit more okay with because you could avoid those actions and try to play around it, but if you're playing into it, then it just makes things progressively harder, and that's like literally the whole point. Like That card is probably one of the better examples of like how I like the control in Digimon to be. Sakuyamon is another example of this. It was like the predecessor. Uh, like you do have things that like they do have ways to be able to put inner turn interaction uh, and making it fun, meaningful, and not just absolutely pain, painful and RNG based. Um, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I think we did. We have talked so much about control. I at least want to interject my thoughts on design as far as it's concerned with the other end of the spectrum because i think aggro is more problematic and i think while people everyone complains about security control ultimately security control isn't that bad and isn't a huge problem because it doesn't really win events what is a problem it's just annoying is aggro because if while it is annoying that security control can have five super awesome kill spells in security and just recover every turn and exist and you can't kill them it's way worse when it's your opponent's second turn and they raise a level four and kill you which is sub we're just we're moving closer to closer to that situation depending on certain cards we're seeing and as they continue to print better more efficient more aggressive cards that is just more likely obviously melga x cannot actually completely end the game on the second turn with you know no memory but if you give them an ephemery they can and even if you don't they can put themselves in a fantastic position if they see the right cards so that's something i think the game needs to check way more than it needs to check control elements because that's way less and... fun is you be you losing the game without getting to do anything I I would agree, uh, and based on what we've seen, like there's still a progression that is happening. It's not necessarily happening towards that, but 
they're just having more efficient ways to be aggressive. Um, we see this with Cross Hearts, that's like known for being one of the best aggro-based decks, just because it heart slams tamers. The tamers play Digimon. Digimon reuses itself, and like that is just hardcore aggro at its core. And it's not an OTK deck. Like it, it doesn't have the ability to just be like, okay, it's turn two, you should be dead, or all your security should be broken. It's like no, it doesn't do that. So like they do have ways to um artificially slow themselves down um in terms of game speed uh which is a whole nother argument um the otk decks are probably the most egregious um just because of their innate design where it's like you get the good stack and you could just win turn two turn three without even thinking about it um but aggro as a whole i don't necessarily think is a problem like the game always kind of was high damage it was just how fast it could get to those high damage stakes. Because we've had all the way back in BT1 or 1.0 uh, the ability to break five security in a single swing. Like, we've always had that. It's just how quickly um, and how efficiently, or how, how quickly and how consistently are you getting there? Because something yes. that has changed is the. the consistency we're almost creating like up. speed tiers. Like, if anyone's played Pokemon, they know what I mean, but like the the video game not the card game but speed tiers as far as like these are the decks that can win consistently by turn three or, or four and if you're not there and you're not a control deck and you have no means of slowing down the other decks you're competitively irrelevant because i don't care how good your combo is on turn six like ancient Greymon. ancient Greymon otk is the perfect example Technically, if it sees all its pieces exactly in the order that it wants to, it is a very, very powerful, almost inevitable deck. But it doesn't, and that's why it's fallen completely to the wayside compared to Metal X, because Metal X just filters so much because it's constantly drawing, and it has a decent amount of protection, and some flexibility in its pieces. And those things combined form a very consistent turn count for winning the game assuming that your opponent doesn't interact with them or they they don't die to security yeah and i think just balancing that game speed is more of the trick so like obviously uh a higher amount of searchers uh and low cost evolutions are two fact like huge factors towards a game speed like if uh ancient Greymon uh doesn't see it's parts and pieces, especially in the order that it needs to see them, then the deck kind of just stumbles and fumbles, and then it's acting slower. Um, and that's where searchers come in to try to help find all of those to speed things up, which is why the memory boost cards are so good, is because it's a consistency tool and an engine tool, because like it's finding your parts and pieces while accelerating your game plan later when you need it to. So, I guess that's just my piece as far as things that the, the designers need to watch out for as far as I wouldn't go too far and make things too controlling. Obviously, I want people to be able to play the game, but I also don't want... I, I Again, just want people to be able to play the game, and that also means that having more than two turns, preferably, or more than one turn if, if you're going second and your opponent gets two turns and they just win the game. Like, they just need to stop... Uh, like, the biggest thing is they just need to assess how fast a deck can move and the amount of damage it can deal. So like 
uh, a lot of these BT9 decks are all, like, all of the X-Antibody decks are super OTK because they use um, Cool Boy as, like, their best digging tool and engine setup tool for when you're comboing off to gain extra resources to be able to extend or make your place possible. Um, and, like, that just that type of a card just helps accelerate decks where it's just, like, you look at a deck like Crosshearts and it doesn't have, like, a hardcore, this is the acceleration point. It's like, oh, do you have... Uh, do you have the tamer that allows you to use inheritable or use the materials underneath your tamers? If you do, you're in a good if you do, you're in a good spot. If you don't, you're in a bad spot. And that's that is kind of what um Crosshearts lives and dies on. Hmm. And BT BT11 just adds an extra instance of that where it's like, okay, here's just another piece to be able to try to do your game plan. Yeah. So, and then at the same time, they introduce more Tamer Hate. So it's like, okay. There's uh, there's lots of balances that they have. With that, I believe that's all the time we have for today. So I'm going to head and say goodbye here. Uh, join us next week for our discussion on the differences between the North American and Japanese metas for BT9. And with that, goodbye. <laughs>